0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. This is episode 56, Bangkok Dangerous, from 2008. I'm Mike Manzi.
1: And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and we've got some sad news today. We were supposed to be joined on this episode by Sarah Hopper, who is a big Nick Cage fan and even bigger Bangkok Dangerous fan. But due to some technical difficulties outside of our control, the connection issue just, it was not going to work out. So this movie is a remake of a 2000 movie, so only eight years earlier. It's directed by the same brothers, so they did the original and they did the remake. But Mike, it's sort of hard to call it like an American remake because it's not really American actors. It's pretty much just Cage. Like, Would you consider this an American remake or just a remake starring an American?
0: This is a very unique remake. I don't think I've come across one quite like this before. I'm not quite sure how to describe it. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's the same directors, but it's not like a shot-for-shot remake like, say, the movie Funny Games, I believe, was remade by the same director, brought that film to America, and remade it. Uh, And it's not like a remake like Gus Van Sant, like a shot-for-shot remake of the original. It's almost like a spiritual remake, like the Pang Brothers told the story of another character from the original film like they wanted to take a character from that and explore that character and take him off into a different direction but there are definitely lots of elements between the two films that are similar just used in very different ways
1: the comparison that i draw in my head here is kind of to the wicker man right where cage was a producer on both and the wicker man was a remake but cage kind of decided to do his own thing That it's sort of a spiritual successor and kind of tells the same story, but things are sort of shuffled around and sort of the story that he wants to tell in the way that he wants to tell it.
0: Yeah, I would say that's pretty fair. Uh, Wings of Desire, which became City of Angels, also crossed my mind. They take the original as this starting point, a a jump off, and there are certain scenes or certain things that they want to carry over and make sure show up in the remake, but for the most part, this is a completely different story that we're going to get here. One major difference I think I should just mention out of all the major differences up front, while Cage plays a character named Joe, Joe in the original film is very much a background character he's important but he's not a main character we actually follow this character kong who is also in this remake however in the original he's the lead hitman and he's a deaf mute so it's a dramatically different main character that we're going to follow and thus we get a movie telling a different story
1: and that's kind of weird because it sounds like and i haven't seen the original but it sounds like the original main character is kind of split into three different people right that we have cage as the main hitman we still have kong albeit in a slightly altered role kind of like training to be a hitman and then we have a deaf mute girl that cage falls in love with it's like they liked everything about this character whoever made these decisions and then instead of making it the same character kept everything but broke it apart into different places
0: i think that's a good way to look at it the original film is very kong centric i'd say there's not very much dialogue you know it's told from the perspective of a deaf mute so his world isn't filled with a lot of language. It's, it's quite interesting. It's, you know, they, they just tell a very different type of story in that movie. There's, there's a lot less action, there's a lot less gore and violence. While this is completely different, I still like this movie. I think they both work in their own rights. One better than the other but possibly because that came first. You know, I think the original will always be the original and I, I saw it first and, and I like it more but I also like this film for what it does on its
1: So this movie is basically about Cage as a hitman, and really the only reason the movie exists is that he has these rules, which we'll get to in a little bit, but he breaks these rules, and by breaking these rules he kind of gets himself into trouble that he's got one last job to do, all these rules that have set himself up to be this successful hitman, this guy who is able to do these big jobs and get away with it and make all this money, he's sort of like not even listening to his own advice and just getting himself into trouble, maybe because he can? Because he's about to be free? I'm not sure. Yeah, when the movie opens, he talks
0: about what it takes to be the best hitman and to be a lone gunman truly means to be alone in your life and we get the idea that he's sort of given up an identity to do what he does he doesn't have a life you know but he talks about wanting one and how perhaps it's time to hang up the gun right or put the bullets back in the drawer and in doing so you're right i think he starts to break his rules because he sees the finish line ahead and perhaps just can't help himself a little bit get that life started a little
2: early my job takes me to a lot of places it's got its downsides i sleep alone i eat alone i'm used to it though i'd like to meet someone but it's tough when you live out of a suitcase i go where i'm told do what i'm told we shouldn't complain. The work is steady. The money's good. But it's not for everyone.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty heartbreaking opening voiceover in a movie, again, filled with a lot of voiceover, because he's talking about how, basically, to be successful at what he does, he has to be alone. He can't be close to anybody. It's sad. But one thing that I couldn't help but think about when we see him doing his opening job in Prague, where he's taking some guy out with a sniper rifle is that the last time I think he was behind a sniper rifle he made John Travolta very sad and face off (laughs) so I couldn't help but think about because they basically have the same shot right where it's basically we're looking down the barrel of the gun and we kind of see his eye through the little magnifier and he's not killing a little kid here by accident he's killing one of his targets he's getting paid to kill but sort of bad things happen when Cage gets behind a sniper rifle.
0: Yeah, and just the general look of him in this film reminded me of the way he looked in the film next. He has that long hair going again here, you know, and he's um, kind of thinner than usual. Maybe that's just his hitman diet and stuff. When he sort of, you know, whips up that gun and gets his target, I think he looks pretty badass as a hitman. And, yeah. Uh, We didn't get to see him do a lot of this in face off. I'm looking forward to seeing him look cool as a hitman and and playing that role.
1: (laughs) He's kind of flipping the rules of his role in next, right? Where he was sort of on the other end of the sniper rifle, pulling a Neo and dodging sniper rifle bullets.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, he was being shot at, and now he's shooting at people.
1: But he's kind of committed to his life. Like he says at one point, he's like, My name is Joe. This is what I do. Like this is just, you know, this is who he is. This is what he does. And even if he's not necessarily happy about it, this is the life that he lives the way that he's so successful the way that he's able to keep doing what he wants to do is because he sets up four rules for himself
2: I was taught four rules one don't ask questions there is no such thing as right and wrong two don't take an interest in people outside of work there is no such thing as trust three erase every trace Become anonymous and leave nothing behind. Four. Know when to get out. Just thinking about it means it's time. Before you lose your edge. Before you become a target.
1: We see him following these rules with the opening job, the one from Prague where he is basically burning every bridge and sort of erasing every trace that he was there. This heroin junkie that he hired to help him out tases the kid and then makes him overdose on heroin. So, like, this is a brutal life, but it's the life that he has to live and the steps he needs to take to make sure he doesn't get caught.
0: Yeah. And it sets up something that I started picking up on from here. You know, we, we get his voiceover and, and we see the look of the guy and, and he doesn't necessarily come across as a, as a threatening person per se. You know, he actually looks, you know, like you said, like kind of lonely or vulnerable to a degree. You know, you see him sitting alone eating dinner and things like that. So when he, you know, basically murders his messenger boy here, it's like pretty, it's pretty severe. Like I, I like the contrast going on between sort of his gentle inner thoughts and his violent outward action.
1: He takes this last gig he has four hits left, it's one location he's off to Bangkok he flies out there. I like that he sets up, and this is something we've seen in a bunch of different Cage movies, that no matter what job he is, no matter what he has to do, he always makes himself out to be the best And so he has this voiceover about how a lot of people pay a lot of money to do a lot of things. The people who normally wind up winning are the people who pay him because he's the best at what he does.
2: All my clients have one thing in common. They feed off the people. There's big money in misery. Where there's money, there's competition. And the guy paying me usually wins.
0: Yeah, even the guy hiring him drops a line where it's like, why do you want to hire a guy you never met? And it's like, well, he came highly recommended by the Russians. you know. <laughs> like, they're his number one hitman, so you know, I believe that. But, you know, I think we should hire who they use.
1: <laughs> the first thing that he has to do, I guess it's sort of the same thing he does every time he has a job, where he gets to a place and has sort of become familiar with the land and familiar with the people and what's going on. He has to find local help. So just like this junkie that he killed in Prague... He finds this kid on the street, this guy named Kong, not the star of the movie like it was in the original, but this kid, sort of a a spiritual successor to that Kong, maybe. And he's this kid that we just see using a, a razor blade to cut open gullible tourist backpacks and steal their wallets. And Cage says that he has three things that he looks for whenever he's looking for someone to help him out. Want to
2: find garbage? Go to a garbage dump. I look for three qualifications. They have to speak a little English... They have to want to make money. And above all, they have to be disposable.
1: The people Cage hires to help him have to be people who can be killed and not really raise suspicion. So whether it's a junkie in Prague, whether it's a common street thief in Bangkok, it has to be someone who he can kill and no one will care that this person's gone.
0: Yeah, so you kind of know when, when he meets Kong that Kong's days are numbered. I like Kong when we see him. He, he's very much different than the one in the original film. He's actually much more modeled off the Joe in that movie. For the, the limited screen time that Joe gets in the original film, he is this sort of hotshot. He's an assassin, but he's much more of this type of personality. He's like a rock and roller hotshot. Here we sort of get Kong with the Bruce Lee glasses and razor blade <laughs> trick where he cuts the wallets out of people's backpacks and stuff like that. Yeah. This to me is an interesting scene because we're meeting this guy that I like, and I know immediately that he's going to die at some point You know, by the end of this film. It's very cool setup.
1: I also like the way that they set up Kong, like you were saying with the Jet Li sunglasses, that he's just this cool kid who sort of walks the walk maybe before he deserves to walk the walk. Part of his job for Cage is to go to this Caribbean club, which we don't really know what it is. Maybe it's a bar or a lounge or sort of a nightclub, whatever. It's not necessarily a strip club, but there's lots of pretty girls dancing. Uh, It's only characterized as high-class ass. (laughs) He goes there, and kind of, like, the girl that he needs to find just so happens to be basically the forefront, the leader of all these girls dancing. She's the most beautiful girl in the room, and he falls in love with her. And because he's so confident, because he sort of walks the walk and is this kind of hot-shot, rock-star kind of guy he like wills himself and wills her to fall in love with him. He kind of uses the secret, right? He just <laughs> sort of like wills it into being. He's like I deserve this girl, like you know, this is the kind of girl that want like for someone like me, like this is the girl that's good for me and just sort of makes it happen.
0: I love this stuff because he's He's got like supreme confidence, you know, and like Cage is taking a chance on him, so I feel like he's walking on air at this point, you know, like someone believes in this kid. It's like he could, do, he feels like he could do anything. And yeah, he basically wills it for her to fall for him at some point. It's gonna cause problems, though, because this girl is also gonna be Joe's contact. I, I believe her name is Ohm. Is it Ohm?
1: I think so. I'm not sure. They say her name maybe once and then never again in the movie. Yeah, and,
0: and it's spelled A O. So I'm not quite sure of the pronunciation and kong is also sort of breaking his rules right cage gave him some instructions he's like you just flash this bill get the suitcase and get back here right he's like don't stop for anything kong is sort of love struck, and he can't help it and every time he goes to get a suitcase he's gonna flirt with this girl more and more until she just kind of falls for him
1: and she kind of only falls for him because he buys her these really fancy earrings though right
0: yeah but it's also like he can afford that and stuff now too so it's kind of working out for kong in all the right ways she's like oh you, you you can't afford me and then he comes back and he's like well i can afford you now <laughs> and then she's like well okay i guess i'll give you a try
1: as well as it's working out for kong here in terms of eventually getting the girl it's not going as smoothly in his main job which is making cage happy he's a little bit too reckless like this confidence translates kind of to recklessness mm-hmm. he gets the briefcase and he's trying to bring it back to cage and cage is kind of following him and he runs away, like, he sort of runs a red light, and the cops chase after him, and he gets away from the cops. But Cage is like, hey, I'm not going to pay you today because, like, you raise too much risk. I can't have you raise all these red flags. You need to do what I want you to do. And Cage is basically yelling at him and saying, like, don't be a minute late. Don't do things that aren't what I say. Like, if you want to get paid, you need to do exactly what I'm saying. Kong is trying to balance, like, this desire to be his own man and sort of be this, like, freewheeling guy with what Cage wants him to be, which is very by the book and do exactly what I need to do because otherwise we could both get killed.
0: Cage is, break, is starting to break a rule here, right? Like he follows Kong to make sure he does as he's told, and he doesn't do as he's told, and he gives him a second chance. Whereas I feel like in Prague or something, this guy would be dead. <laughs> you know, so I, I also get that out of here. Is he starting to soften? Maybe he sees something in Kong is ballsiness or just his willingness to follow or or any of that. Yeah, and I think that's kinda interesting. You know, you start to see what's gonna cause this hitman's downfall. He he's already getting too close.
1: So Cage takes out the first mark, he takes out the first hit, the first target, and as he's about to do it, it seems like it should be more important to the overall style of the movie or the overall plot of the movie, but it's not really, it just sort of gets Cage where he needs to go. As he's getting ready to kill this guy. This little kid sees him, kills his mark, and then as he's running away, he sees that same kid again and swerves out of the way and cuts his arm on Rebar, which is eventually going to get him to this pharmacy where he's going to fall in love with this girl. But I don't know, was it just me or did it seem like that kid who saw him should have been more important to the story than he was? So when
0: he sees the girl, he has that moment of hesitation where he pauses and isn't sure if he's going to go through with the hit. Um, and I kind of get that here with Cage, too. It, it's a little more obvious. Like, he, the girl just kind of walks out in front of him, and he looks at her. But you get the sense that, man, like, he's kind of doesn't have it in him anymore. I don't know. It's, it's very brief. But then he's off on his motorcycle looking like Daft Punk with an Uzi. And he, like, pulls up in front of the guy right on time and just blows him away drive-by style.
1: This isn't necessarily a great comparison, but it almost feels kind of like we were talking about with the World Trade Center, where it seems too dedicated to preserving the original. The kid serves a purpose. Maybe it sort of gets him a little bit jumpy. I don't know. It feels weird to include it here because it doesn't necessarily... It almost seems like that kid should go to report to someone else and say, hey, I saw a white man with a gun. He went to go kill people. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It feels more like a setup here, whereas in the original, it just felt like a moment.
1: Whether or not it was handled well in the movie, whether or not it sort of leaves an empty, like a hanging thread, it eventually just gets caged where he needs to get, which is to this pharmacy... Where he can fall in love with this deaf mute pharmacy girl. The way that the movie sets this up, this little introduction between him and her, it's kinda of like a nice little moment, but also like the music in the background is like, hey, pay attention here, like, you know, some romance is blossoming. And I'm thinking like, is this really like is this what the movie's gonna be? Like him fall like it just it seems like sort of like a weird kind of fit. That, you know, he's getting too close. Like, him getting close enough to Kong is sort of fills this void, too. Like, this is just someone else he's getting close to. You know what I mean?
0: This is a little different, though, in that I think he has a romantic pursuits here, right? I uh, don't know if Kong is necessarily his type, but <laughs> you're right. He shouldn't be thinking about this, though, right? Like, that's the main point. He's already training his errand boy. Technically, he's sticking closer to his rules, but this is just way off the beaten path. This is his big slip-up, I think, that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. I like this idea. What they did was they took the deaf and mute character that was kong in the original and they turned it into the lady at the pharmacy and i think it works actually a little better in this at least in the situation we're in because we're able to sort of transcend the language barrier here right in a weird way yeah her being deaf in a strange way like the way they communicate he doesn't need to know how to speak her language and she doesn't need to know how to speak his, his language and right. and they can rely on the sign language and and i like that it's very universal
1: it's really cool because they're like by nature on different pages but they're allowed to sort of be on the same page in that neither understands the other and i also like that this sets up one of the coolest moments of the movie when she kind of finally realizes what he is and we'll get to that a little bit later but i like that the way that they use her deaf mute persona and her traits if you want to call them that. The the movie does a really good job keeping it classy, sort of, but also giving the movie things to play off of. Yeah, and
0: it's kind of a fresh twist if you've seen the original. And, and now I'm starting to realize this This is sort of, more of much more of a companion piece, you know, and not to be taken as a fully literal adaptation.
1: The movie's going to be spending a lot of time on romance. And I know that there's sort of a precedent in terms of hitman and romances and love stories, but it's weird that we have sort of one job, right? These four hits, And we have two love stories. Like, it's almost more of like a love movie than it is like a Hitman movie, almost.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's just something that they wanted to play up more. This happens much later in the original. I'm coming to realize that the structure of Asian action cinema is much different than American action cinema. And this is following the structure of American movies, much closer. They're spending much more time on setting up these romances and and trying to pay that off as well as expanding on the action.
1: What's nice about it, and I think maybe it's because they're spending more time developing it, we also see more of a direct correlation between Hong's growth in his love life and also Hong's growth or development in his role with Cage that as he's buying these expensive earrings for his girl, he's also getting more into it with Cage. But he's also starting to screw up, and maybe it's because he's distracted with this girl, or maybe it's just because these guys decide to mug him on the street. But like as we see him developing his love life, he also gets into trouble again with Cage and gets mugged, and the briefcase gets opened. And so we sort of see two different sides of this guy who, for all intents and purposes, is essentially kind of a background character, right?
0: Yeah, and, and I just keep thinking, like, he's he's a complete and total stranger, and, like, they're strangers to each other. And it's it's this weird sort of thing that's come up a while back about sort of a kinship among thieves. You know what I'm saying, though? But it's like this criminal code, in a way. Yeah. And, and these are two guys that, on some weird level, just believe in the same code, in a way, or want to. <laughs> he, Cage even says to himself, like, it's strange, but I, I saw myself in this person in some weird way and i'm straining to see it myself but if he says so i'm I'm sort of going with it at this point
1: because this kind of harkens back a little bit to his rules right i mean there's sort of one overall rule and it's like don't allow for any mistakes that's essentially the bottom line like if you're if you're sort of pulling a george carlin of condensing the ten commandments into one which is just be nice or whatever the bottom (laughs) line is there here the four rules that cage has is basically just don't allow any mistakes you know don't let other people cause mistakes in you don't do any yourself and so here for all intents and purposes should kill Hong he can find like any number of street hoodlums he can find a dime a dozen and this kid does screw up but he has this voiceover. where he's like why didn't I kill him there I saw myself in him like you were saying and I decided to train him instead
2: why didn't I kill him maybe it's because and this is strange somehow when I looked into his eyes I saw myself. So I became his teacher.
1: And so they sort of enter this like new avenue in the movie where it's like this sort of Mr. Miyagi like (laughs) father like teacher like teacher student kind of thing it sort of comes out of nowhere but it's also the natural progression in a weird way of where this relationship has been going
0: yeah I was thinking about it and if this was you know his previous hit if it wasn't his last job Kong would be dead you know he'd definitely try and find another guy but I get the sense that he's leaving the business maybe he wants to teach somebody or pass on his knowledge in some weird way just leave a piece of himself behind in in some manner we definitely move into a training sequence montage it goes on for the rest of the film almost we keep cutting back and forth to it yeah it starts with this cool like knife blocking scene i thought that was pretty cool
1: that knife scene is incredible like the way that it's i don't know if it's the editing or the sound mixing it's exciting cage basically has a knife up to hong's throat And he's just, like, trying to kill Hong, which is, like, really, like, throwing him into the fire, right? Like, this kid has no real self-defense, from what we can tell, and he's just there against a trained, professional, international assassin trying to stop him from killing him. He's just block, block, block. The way that it's cut together, it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, it's really intimate, too, you know, in a weird way. It's like this strange, intimate moment between the two of them that's going to bring a whole different side of Cage out. And I'm starting to wonder if it's the Pang brothers. You know, they are brothers directing this movie, so maybe they want to get that across in some way. There is a lot of that in the original, the idea that these two hitmen kind of look after each other, their surrogate brotherhood in a way. So I like the way they're trying to work that in here.
1: Talking about it and thinking about the movie after. After the fact, I like it almost more than I did when I was watching it. I feel this happened several times during Cage Club. What's kind of cool is that as the movie goes on and as he starts training Hong, the hits almost don't matter. They show him killing these guys. They show him going to this guy's house and strangling him in the pool. At the same time, you almost wish, like, it's not really necessarily like an assassin movie. It's more like a mentor movie. As you're watching, it, you're like, oh, I wish there was more time spent with him, you know, hunting this guy down and then killing him. But now looking back, it's sort of like a behind-the-scenes almost version of a Hitman movie.
0: Yeah, all the hits are sort of secondary. They're in the background. You're right. It isn't exactly what the movie's about. There isn't a lot of this attention necessarily drawn to them. Like I was saying earlier about the Uzi drive by. Like he literally just pulls up in front of the guy, shoots the car full of lead, and drives away. It's not like a big chase sequence. It's not a big action sequence. We will get some of that a little later when I feel like it's more appropriate on on some level. But you're right. The original was sort of much more of a thriller and keeps up that pace. And, And this one is shifting a little I feel into itself and yeah it's becoming more about companionship I think Cage says like he's a lonely guy and that's causing him to break his rules a little prematurely in my opinion.
1: It's companionship in two ways it's companionship with Hong and it's also companionship with this girl the pharmacist who I guess we come to know as Rain but we'll get to that in a second. One thing that I really like that I kind of lost my mind about and I haven't had this kind of moment in terms of Cage connections for a few movies now But they're doing push-ups as part of their training, and I was like, we haven't gone back to push-ups in a long, long time. Push-ups on the beach all the way back to best of times. There was one movie, oh, it was Red Rock West when he was doing push-ups on Mm -hmm. the side of the road. Push-ups have kind of been like a pretty big moment in Cage Club, and we haven't had push-ups in a while. It's good to see now at this point in his life, 43, 44 years old, Cage can still rock push-ups with like a 20, 25-year-old kid from Thailand.
0: Yeah, and I definitely feel like he's in shape in this film too. We don't really necessarily go full on action a la con air at any real moment here, but he seems like he's really running around and capable and, and I'm buying him in this. You know, I I like him as an assassin. I think it's really cool that, <laughs> yeah. that we're getting him in this role. He doesn't tend to play a bad guy very often, and as much as his character doesn't want to believe that he's a bad guy per se, like he is a bad guy. He's he's very evil.
1: He's kind of a bad guy with a heart of gold though.
0: Yeah. Like he, he, he I come to think of like the supervillains who feel like they're doing it for the greater good or something or it's just like, you know, a matter of point of view or a matter of perspective. Call yourself a good person all you want, but actions speak a little louder than words.
1: And then we have one of the cutest and weirdest and most awkward dating scenes, maybe since the boat in It Could Happen to You <laughs> where they just go out and they like we were saying just a few minutes ago, they can't communicate with each other. I mean, he he lives all around the world. He goes to all these different countries. I'm sure he's had food all around the world, but he's sort of new to this kind of food. And from the very beginning, he's just eating food that's way, way, way too spicy, overacting and overselling just how much his mouth is on fire. And his date, this pharmacist, Rain, is eating it up. And she's just having such a good time. She teaches him sign language a little bit and sort of gives him a little bit of tips in terms of like chewing these mint leaves to cool his mouth down. This is another moment where the, the movie uses a lack of language to really do a great job communicating
0: yeah I, I feel like it's all in the acting here you know and Cage is doing great and, and this girl I don't I don't, you know I don't know her from, from anything else I, I don't know if she's a big star in the Philippines or anything but she's really doing good and this is just like an adorable scenario for a date you know like this I feel like this would work well if it wasn't in an assassin film right and that just sort of adds a level to it the idea that he's keeping this secret and, and everything like that this whole scenario of just trying to understand each other and, and you know what's one universal thing that they can do is is eat you know everyone's got to eat yeah it's just a cool scene
1: and another thing that everybody can do is apparently go up to elephants and feed elephants bananas (laughs) and as i'm watching the movies i'm like writing down times to do to grab screenshots later for the blog and i was waiting for a shot with cage like sort of face to face with an elephant and they're never on screen together Like, there's one shot, I think, where he's, like, in front of the elephant and sort of, like, a face on. I would love a picture of Cage with that elephant, but, like, I don't know that they necessarily exist. Like, it seems like they're just, like, a fake elephant trunk on this date where they just bought bananas somewhere, I guess? and they find this elephant, and he's just tossing bananas into its mouth. It's like a really weird scene, and just kind of like, I've never seen, like, this is the first elephant in Cage Club, I think. I don't remember any other movie where, like, a a couple goes on a date and feeds an elephant. (laughs)
0: Yeah, certainly not. I don't even really remember him going to the zoo or anything like that, you know? It hasn't even come close, really. But uh, I I wonder if maybe it was for safety reasons. It did seem kind of odd. I don't exactly believe that elephants are just walking down the streets of Bangkok on a daily basis. <laughs> Maybe they are. I, I don't really know. He does have that, like, elephant picture in his house. That's weird. Yeah, elephant and luck and, I guess, memory, because I relate that to elephants a lot. They seem to have, like, amazing memories. It's a symbol of something in the film. It's a kind of a surreal moment. Like, everything's going well, you know. He's in this moment of bliss. And then I thought it was just, like, come up and feed the elephants. And it's, like, I thought peanuts, but I guess they prefer bananas. It was strange. It was weird. It was interesting is just like this cool touch but i can't answer your question as to whether or not that was was just a guy wearing like a a trunk sleeve puppet you know right off screen just standing i don't know
1: so let's talk about that elephant painting in his house because it's weird because the first time that hong comes over he says to him hey that elephant painting's upside down the trunk is supposed to face to the roof or face to the ceiling face to the sky and cage is like no i like it the way it is And then Hong stops by one time when Cage isn't there, or maybe Cage is out of the room, and he rotates the picture. It happens at the same point in the movie where Cage's luck starts to go bad. This is, like, when Hong gets captured and Cage sort of gets mugged in the park. Like, it seems like Hong sort of had the story backwards that, like, the elephant was supposed to point down. I don't know if it was irony. I don't know if there's some greater, in terms of Thailand lore, if there's some greater mythology in terms of elephants' trunks, and this is sort of, like, a subversion of that culture... It's just weird how there was such attention paid to it and what it seemed like it's just like the opposite of what Hong said it was actually turned out to be.
0: Yeah, I wasn't really sure how to interpret that, to be honest with you. Now that I'm thinking about it, it feels like uh, it goes along with the theme of getting too close again. Because he has like this sort of core set of beliefs. Now this other guy's ideas are sort of infiltrating a little bit. Like Cage feels one way about the elephant. This guy feels another way, and then you know he sort of imposes his views. And if he wasn't allowed to get so close to Cage, you know none of that would have happened. And I feel like it's like a omen or something like that, and maybe supposed to take it that way. It doesn't call itself out to it. I guess it does in just the sense that, oh, that's kinda weird. But
1: later on it comes to be like a symbol. I just realized that I've been calling him Hong. His name is Kong. I mean I don't know it, like names in this movie are kind of weird because I guess it's it, it plays into the Stranger in a Strange Land. When Kong introduces himself, he's like, Would you say your name is Kong? Like he can't believe it. And then at this point in the movie he's on the date and the, the date sort of winds back up at the pharmacist's house And it's raining outside. And she's like, oh, that's me. Like, that's like she's conveying, like, that's my name. He's like, oh, your name is Rain. I guess it's just being in a culture where names are so like his name is Joe. I know all too well firsthand. Like, it's the most common, you know, sort of most boring name in America. He's just sort of this Joe everybody. Right. And he goes into this other country and just everything is foreign to him. Even the names Kong and Rain and Om, like everything is just sort of different for him.
0: I think it works in the sense that, you know, this is at a point in the character's life where he's in transition in a lot of ways. Like, he's about to retire join the world again in a way you know what I mean like he's been shut off from society it seems for a really long time to the point where he's he might as well be mute because you know <laughs> it doesn't seem like he has many people to talk to it almost feels like as he's coming out of his shell and experienced the real world again like he wouldn't really understand a lot of things culturally I feel even if he was in America at this time it's kind of like a quick way to show he doesn't understand the way the world actually works you know what I mean like he isn't in sync with with the rest of society in a way. I might be stretching a little bit, but that's sort of where I'm trying to come with. The idea that they made this character an American in the first place, I want to believe. Trying to understand the world around you and not being able to. Everything feeling foreign to you. You know, I like the idea of that trying to come across.
1: I buy that, and I like that idea. I just wish that we knew a little bit more of what his plans for the future held. That it seems like we like we don't really know. We know this is his last job. We never get, like, a scene where he's just like, you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to go to Hawaii and kick back and just drink Mai Tais. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know what his plans for the future are. By the end of the movie, when sort of everything goes to hell and he's just in a panic, his number one goal is just to get out of the country. So it's not like his future, it's not like what he's looking forward to is there. I wish that we just knew a little bit more about him, and ultimately it doesn't matter, and we'll get to that at the very end, but I just wish that we knew more about what he wanted to do so that these sort of lessons that he was learning had some kind of bigger payoff.
0: I agree. And, and it wouldn't have taken very much either. You know, he could have just been on a walk or drawn a picture for the girl, right? And it could have just been like a boat or a palm tree or a beach. You know what I'm saying? It's just like a little symbol or something of you and I together after all this blows over yeah. thing.
1: So then we get to the third hit, which is kind of the most exciting one of all. I mean, it's not the biggest one in terms of ramifications for the movie, but this is, I wrote down high speed and then in parentheses, question mark, boat chase, because like there's a sense of urgency in the scene, but also the way that it's shot and edited, maybe it's just not American style. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like the boat chase at the end of Face Off. It's not crazy like that. I feel like it's supposed to feel like that, but it doesn't quite reach that craziness, Even though Cage goes from boat chase to motorcycle chase to jumping onto his boat to chopping the guy's arm off with the (laughs) propeller, all the parts are there to make this like an incredible action scene, and it just felt a little sluggish to me.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that they're definitely overcompensating a little bit in this sequence because it isn't exactly an action film, you know? And it feels like at this part, someone said to them, you know, I think we need to construct a bit of an over-the-top action sequence at this moment in the film. There has been a very cool assassination where he does that whole underwater hit, right? Right. It's very spy-like. He's very good at being sneaky. And that plays because, you know, we talked about how it's not really about the kill. It's more about what else is going on in his life at the moment it feels like they shot it they weren't sure how to shoot it with the action feel to it so they tried to do it in editing and it, it, it does kind of come across a little spastic because it is sort of like okay boat motorcycle and they even cut away from the motorcycle explosion i was like oh they don't even show the explosion the whole way right and then he like kind of lands on the boat and it's over before you even know it so i almost had the sense that this was supposed to be more low-key that that perhaps in the original script he did shoot the guy like with the silencer as he was passing by instead of getting nudged by the other boat which kind of triggers the whole chase sequence
1: well yeah you would think that i mean because he's obviously very good at what he does and you think that he'd be able to kill the guy and it just seems like he gets so thrown off by the shopkeeper saying hey do you want to buy something he's like oh, i don't know how to deal with this
0: yeah and that's almost what he has his partner there for now at this point is to be the guy who's like stay away stay away or, you know <laughs> that's what i thought at least it is kind of cool though to see that if he needs to he will just chase down his prey in broad daylight and load him full of lead <laughs> and we kind of get that cool shot from underneath the boat where the bullets are going through the yeah boat and stuff. that was a really cool shot
1: That's awesome. This is kind of the beginning of the end for him, though, that the first two hits went so well. This is right after Kong flips the painting of the elephant. This hit kind of falls apart. The next hit's going to go very poorly, But also he goes on that next date and even though it starts out nice that like 50 coins, 50 wishes, by the end they're walking through the park and he gets held at gunpoint and kills those two guys and that's when Rain realizes who he actually is. You know, bringing it back to the weatherman in a weird way where his professional life couldn't be going any better and his personal life couldn't be going any worse, here like both things are going pretty well and then almost on a dime they both sort of tumble off a cliff and just start to go really poorly.
0: Yeah, this is just like a really great scene, I feel like, in both movies are just to have in any film. Like I just really love the way the reveal works in both versions you know he sort of just goes into reflex mode you know like he doesn't really even i feel like he doesn't even know what he's doing he's just he wants to protect the girl he doesn't want to die he needs control of the situation it's like
1: (laughs) jason Bourne mode almost yeah yeah
0: like a computer (laughs) and she sort of wanders off and she can't even tell what's going on and before she turns around and sees him finishing the job it's like pretty horrifying
1: well what's great is that she obviously because she's deaf she can't hear him kill the two guys like with the gunshots but she She feels their blood splatter on her back, and that is, like, terrifying. She's like, oh, what's this rain that she touches it and, like, feels that it's blood, or looks that it, sees that it's blood, and turns around and just sees this man that she's falling in love with that she'd just given a note that says i am happy together with you it's just like this is not the guy that she signed up to
0: be with it does a really good job of using her disability again you know like in the way they use it to communicate it's like it reminded me of the other things in life that she's not aware of right and just like her total lack of awareness that's not even her fault you know and just like the shock of just the unexpected i guess or just you know turning around and that's being the last thing you would have expected to see and, and how that would play, and it's pretty strong.
1: Then Cage goes home, like, this date did not end the way that he wanted it to end, and he goes home and sees the elephant that had been turned upside down, like, this is the first time he notices it, and I just love that he burns it. It's just, like, no, like, I'm, today was a bad day, and, like, I know that this isn't really the culprit of it, but, like, I, I don't want this reminder in my life.
0: Yeah, and and he also tries to sort of talk to her, and she's pushing him away. And and I think, and and the guys that hired him, I think they're kind of like scared of him at this point, too. Like, they kind of can't control him, I think, but they're starting to trail Kong at this point, right? Because they're like, oh, like, he's getting too close to the contact. Follow him. Find out what's going on with all this. This seems, is that at this point? It it, it seems like the bad guys are just sort of like, ooh, he may have come a little too highly
1: recommended. Everybody's starting to get really paranoid. Annoyed. before we get there i want a little bit of a clarification from you i'm not sure if i missed something so it's right after they get back for the third hit they're watching tv somewhere and they see this politician on tv and kong says oh he's just like you he's a good guy and cage is like oh okay and then it turns out that that's the fourth hit i feel like there was another like one scene missing there that i don't know who this guy was it's just some good guy on tv like, we don't know who any of these people are. It's basically Kong saying, oh, that's a bad man, that's a bad man, that's a good man, you know? Like, it's just sort of weird that, like, now all of a sudden he has to take out a good guy. And I know that's sort of the big twist at the end, that that's why he goes and demands more money, and that's why he sort of wants more out of the people who hired him, and that's sort of why they get a little paranoid. But it's just weird that all we know as to whether or not a guy's good or bad is just Kong telling Cage, oh, yeah, no, he's a very bad guy, he does bad things. Or, oh, no, that's a good guy, he's just like you
0: yeah i I think it's like he definitely is relying on this guy way too much right i just you know he should just be picking up these briefcases and dropping them off and and leaving and coming back the next day he started by training him and getting too close and and now it's like okay i take your word for it kind of thing and yeah i agree i don't i don't recognize this guy from anywhere earlier in the film it could have helped to just shown him on tv once in a while to get his face in my mind a little a couple times i hate to keep referring to the original because you know this is a remake it's it and it is trying to do its own thing however what is kind of cool about his final hit is that it's sort of a secret hit this woman just comes directly to the boss and goes directly to kong and no one is aware and and no one's really sure who the mark is but they know it's like a super important guy we're led to believe he's a political official but it's not exactly that easy it's a little more complicated than that
1: he has this great voiceover and like again I think I was saying earlier in the episode there's just this is another movie that's full of voiceover but he says something along the lines of political assassination wasn't the deal
2: political assassination wasn't in the contract so there are two ways to go refuse the job and walk away now or do the job and walk away rich the truth is almost anyone can take out a politician it's not the hard part The hard part is getting away with it.
1: It's basically like if those are your options, like if you're going to have a hard time getting away either way and both times you have to sort of get out of the country, like you might as well just finish the job and get get a big payday at the end.
0: I don't know, man. I mean, if I was him, I might have just been like, it's getting too crazy, leave town. But he's definitely too attached to Bangkok at this point, right? <laughs> I feel like he feels he made a mess and he needs to clean it up kind of situation. It's a way of him rationalizing it. It's a way of him saying, like, let's get paid. Like, we might as well kill some people. Like, i am got to kill a bunch of guys. Might as well get paid for
1: it. It's sort of a culmination of what, like, everything that's sort of been, I don't want to say going wrong for him in the movie, but everything he's been doing to break his code about how he feels responsible for Kong he kind of feels responsible. I mean, okay, has he met Ohm at this point?
0: No, no, and in fact at this point, he, like, rejects the hit, right? He, like, wants more money, and then the the boss is like, give him whatever he wants. Like, (laughs) it (laughs) has to happen. He's half in the dark still.
1: The boss is like, they're like, give him whatever he wants, but, like, we need to start cleaning up loose ends. Like, I like that it's part of Cage's plan at the end of it, like, to clean up loose ends. It's just kind of funny and just sad for Kong. Both sides of this deal are both (laughs) going to try to kill Kong because he's the only one who can tie the two together like they essentially haven't met each other i don't think they just sort of hired him on a contract he never meets face to face with them kong is the only one who knows what cage looks like Kong is the only one who knows what these bosses look like just these poor guys stuck in the middle These like low level, you know, home yeah. the dancer and Kong, the street level criminal they're the ones at the most risk, even though they're not the big bad guys.
0: I really like that about this, is that everyone is sort of one step removed from each other, you know no one knows anyone past one person, really, Like, <laughs> like Joe knows Kong, Kong knows the dancer, but Joe doesn't know the dancer the dancer knows right. the boss, but Kong doesn't know the boss, and Joe doesn't know the boss, like everybody is one step removed it just sort of adds to I guess the lack of communication um, (laughs) sort of theme running through it
1: all and I think what gets Kong in trouble is that the bosses see him at the club they're like oh like let's look into this like he's spending a lot of time with Ohm like we gotta check this guy out and then as they're trying to cover their asses and sort of tie up loose ends They kidnap the two of them, and they're looking for Joe because I guess they want to take, I don't know, like it seems like everybody is just so paranoid of everybody, nobody trusts anybody, and they're all worried that they're going to get caught or that someone else is going to screw something up, and they're all going to go down for it.
0: Yeah, I think it's the sense that this hit is so sort of serious that they're really messing with fire. Like, before they are making the papers and stuff, but now I feel like they'll make international news with this hit in a sense. Like, it really feels like bigger than anyone expected this thing to get. And you're right, that comes across. That sense of paranoia is very strong towards the end here. And then and, they and definitely love the boss in Bangkok. Like, he, he is sweating bullets. You know, he's got his number one blonde guy. It's just funny to see These aren't calm, cool, and collect criminals like are usually portrayed in most action films.
1: I also wonder if they have bosses to report to, because we don't really know a lot from their point of view... We don't know if they're the ones calling the shots or if there's somebody else, then they're sort of one step away removed, and maybe that person's one step. You know what I Like, where are these orders coming from?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like they're contractors. Like, people contact them because they know hitmen, and then they'll dole out the different people that need to get shot, depending on <laughs> who's in town. <laughs> yeah, it, but that's another thing, right? That's just another step removed. Like, there's always someone else that no one can see. Like, someone, a hierarchy, a higher power.
1: And so Cage, even though he goes against. His better judgment and this whole movie is just him doing things that he knows is wrong and just goes ahead with it anyway he goes and takes out the president or the, the the political leader or whatever then it like becomes like this shootout and this i feel like feels a little bit better in terms of the action movies that we're used to than the boat chase did although this chase does seem pretty cool like when they're just these guys with guns shooting him and he's like stealing baseball caps and cameras off people just to sort of blend into the crowd. Like, I like that, but then where it ultimately gets to in this warehouse shootout, I feel like the movie kind of redeems itself in terms of its action for making up for that sort of shoddy boat scene a little bit earlier in the movie.
0: Yeah, this action just feels a lot more natural to the story as well, you know? Like, he gets spotted trying to take this guy out during a parade, so the SWAT guys, like, open fire on him, you know? <laughs> and it's, like, causing an entire scene and chaos in the streets, and they try and take him out from sort of, like, across the courtyard it kind of makes sense in the context of the story that this would ensue like an action sequence would happened because of this and yeah and I, I like it too except the one thing just that crossed my mind it doesn't bother me as much but it just kind of crossed my mind it's like when you're trying to blend in he's the only one sort of not running around in panic you know <laughs> so like i would have just like
1: thought you know maybe
0: when you hit the street start freaking out a little
1: more we've talked a couple times you know with zondali and a couple other examples where there's sort of the only person and you know sunny at the end of sunny where it's like this only person in a sea of people like sort of walking against the crowd and you're right he's not really blending in i also kind kind of got the sense just around the same time that this came out of the beginning of the movie Drive where Ryan Gosling drives into the the Staples Center and then puts on that baseball cap and just walks out as the cops roll up you know a baseball cap solves all your problems (laughs) you know cops aren't going to be able to recognize you if you just put a baseball cap on
0: it's the ultimate disguise when you're in a hurry
1: (laughs) sort of shit is really hitting the fan now and Cage has the voiceover where he's like when the nightmare becomes real it's time to get
2: out when the nightmare becomes real you don't hesitate you don't think you just run Anyone in the way goes down. It's pretty simple. You're the target now. Leave the country, or you're going to die.
1: Things are going really poorly. There's no more... Like, he he sort of did his work. He's going to get paid. Now is the time to get out. Like, if he was following his rules and not necessarily getting too close to people, he would just get out now. Again, sort of done in by his previous decisions in the movie, he feels like he owes Kong, and he sort of wants to make sure that he's okay.
0: Yeah, it's his disciple, right? Like, (laughs) he's definitely too close, and there's no going back. Like, he's all in with these new people. They're, like, the first people he's been close to in forever. So it's kind of amazing that (laughs) this crazy hitman has such, like, a loyalty about him. And I really like that aspect of it. And I was actually expecting them to break into a big house fight here, but it definitely doesn't go in that direction. I was wondering what he was making in the kitchen
1: during one of those scenes. (laughs) In theory, he has to go find out where Kong is. And so, you know, in a, in a longer movie, in a movie that's more willing to take its time, he's going to go, like, it's sort of going to enter the final act here, right? That we're going to go, he has to go, like, sort of track down where Kong is, maybe fight his way up to get answers. But no, like, in this movie, he just goes home, and the guys come to him, and it's just like, how do we keep the pace and the tension up? Like, we're just going to throw bad guys at him, we're going to have them firebomb his house, and he's going to go downstairs and just kill a guy so he gets the other guy to talk. It's the quickest way to get the answers he needs, and it just keeps the pace up, and I love it.
0: Yeah, and I, I felt like it was um, it, it serviced everybody. Like you got a cool explosion, right? And it was quick. It was over fast. So it was like pulling off a band aid, you know? <laughs> and and it propelled the plot. Like he gets information out of this guy. So nice, quick little scene here, all around. <laughs> I, I applaud.
1: And I like that he's like he's only one man. It's like yeah, okay. Like you know, this international hitman, like this this guy that Russia recommends. Don't worry about him. He's just one guy. <laughs> but like it's like the guy to worry about.
0: Yeah, he's been leaving a trail of bodies all around <laughs> hung, all around Bangkok for the past week. It's like, <laughs>
1: take caution. He just took out, you know, the president or some major political leader. Like, he can get to you guys. Like, if he has to shoot through a warehouse of your guys, he's coming for you. Like, you should probably freak out a little bit more than you already are.
0: And he just shows up like that, too, at their place, which is great. You know, he doesn't have, like, any fanfare about him. He just basically shows up at their warehouse and he's like time to die basically
1: which is awesome but before he goes there he has to go say goodbye to rain he just shows up to her house bows to her and then just leaves and so it's kind of cool that he said goodbye this is the last time they're ever going to see each other whether he's going to make it out of country or not like he's not going to look back this is sort of the end of their thing and it's just like a cool little touch that even though things didn't end the way that he wanted them to with her he still respects her enough and cares about her to go and stop by and say goodbye
0: i'm glad he got to see her one more time and that she saw him too that she didn't look away at that final moment so he could at least you know have peace in that right like he's got that going for him as he basically just walks into the heart of hell here towards the <laughs> end right he, he said good night to his angel so he could fight the devil
1: and then we get to like the most visually striking part of the movie and i think some of my favorite scenes in the movie we just get to this, like, warehouse scene, and it all starts off with, like, a real cool John Woo-esque dual-wielding guns where he just comes up on a guy who's just, like, standing guard at this warehouse, and he just, like, pulls guns, crosses them, beh- like, over the guy's shoulders, and takes out two other guards. It's just it's such a cool little scene, and it just kicks off this, like, flurry of gunfights that isn't the best of gunfights, but, like, in terms of this movie, like, it's pretty cool
0: what i like about this hitman too is that he's capable in all types of situations you know so like this is really kind of like his first gunfight in the film too like we've seen him be a sniper we've seen him wield like a blade i think like we've seen him strangle a guy like he's done all kinds of things and so it's cool to know how versatile of a guy he is like he's living up to his killer name (laughs) and and it's just a great visual when he crisscrosses across that guy's neck and you know you feel like he could almost break his neck if he needed to with the force use him as like this human shield and basically he, like walks into the warehouse with this guy like leading him in
1: Oh, it's so it's it's so cool he essentially goes on you know what the movie advertisements call a roaring rampage of revenge you know just like the bride did in kill bill 2 and he just goes and takes everybody out like he's gonna fight his way to the top and there's one shot where he's like up against a wall with the gun right up against his head it's basically like the shot a shot of john McClane from Die Hard, ultimate action hero right here cage taking out a warehouse full of guys just so that he can take down these big crime lords
0: Yeah, I really like him running the gauntlet here, this sequence, and this is the, you know, shoot your way to your friends part of the movie, too, you know? It's an action sequence payoff that's warranted because he has to rescue his friends, you know? Like, I like the whole way everything is sort of coming together at the end here, you know? I just feel like there's no other way the movie really could end is except between a shootout between all the bad guys.
1: And I like at the very end that once he finally catches up to his friends, he finds his friends, he's gotten past all these bad guys at this amazing shootout shootout where he's just like shooting water tanks and water just flying everywhere it's just really visually great he catches up to kong and oh he's just like i got one more job and he's very bad it's just like this this ultimate action hero line in a movie that doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily fit in but like in this scene the movie has kind of become like how adaptation became like this sort of generic kind of thriller at the <laughs> yeah. end like this movie has gone from essentially a relationship romance story into this action movie just because that's what the plot needed it to become now cage is this 90s action star like i got one more guy to kill him he's the baddest man of them all
0: <laughs> and i'm really liking cage again as a hitman i don't know like i think this movie might have just taken a lot of crap for being another remake in a long line of remakes the new millennium. I don't think it deserves that. I think it really should be watched. I think it's cool. He's doing good stuff and good work in it. And yeah, we he gets to bring back that sort of nineties Nick Cage moment there for a minute, right? Like he he can just pull back into his bag of tricks and deliver this cliche line and pull <laughs> it off
1: i love pull it. it off the bosses have escaped and they're out in a car right like they get out of the warehouse and they get to a car
0: they seem to be sort of like deep in the warehouse sort of there's like roads and it's whole it's like a whole warehouse complex right right it's like an industrial zone there's a definite entrance like a gate to get in and they seem to be somewhere deep inside and
1: cage sort of comes up behind the car it's a lot of quick cutting and it's not exactly clear what's going on but he kills one of the guys and then the other guy goes to reach for a gun, and then you just hear another gun cock like the hammer cock back they move the camera they pan the camera and cage is there with a gun through the window like i got the drop on you like do not reach for that gun i'm in charge right now
0: yeah and the cops are sort of starting to swarm around the entrance at this point too so he's sort of between a rock and a hard place at this point no way out really for him yeah he kills the one guy the driver he slips into the back seat and it's just really weird but (laughs) <laughs> cool and contemplative moment where he's just like sitting next to the boss realizes he's you know been shot and it looks pretty much like a mortal wound and you could kind of see the wheels turning like he's not gonna see the sun rise
1: it's not really clear what his goal is but his hand is kind of forced as the driver who he had killed in a crossfire His foot slips off the brake and onto the gas and it sort of backs the car up very, very slowly right next to the cop's. And so as Cage is, like, getting closer and closer to the cops at the end, it becomes clear that he really only has one real way out.
0: This is kind of strange. It plays a little weird, but there's something creepy about the way the car just rolls, like how the driver collapses on top of the wheel, and his foot hits the gas, or goes off the gas, and it just kind of rolls along. I have a theory as to why they changed this a little from the original. In the original, he just walks out of the warehouse with this guy at gunpoint, proceeds to end it the same way, but it felt very reservoir dogs to me you know and i think maybe it would have to a lot of other people too so that's just a little theory as to why they might have tried to go original here at the ending i don't hate it it's just (laughs) it's just strange you know it's just like it's already going to be very somber is meant to be taking a little more seriously it's one of those weird ending of cage movie moments i guess
1: and what he does is he sort of cradles this guy like his sort of boss his enemy whatever you want to call him He cradles his head next to his and puts a gun to his temple and kills them both with one bullet. I mean, I was asking you earlier if this is the first on-screen suicide in Cage Club. We said that, you know, in Leaving Las Vegas was a slow, movie-long suicide. But here it's kind of like a shocking ending that you see the gun go to his temple and you see the flash and, like, they're just both gone
0: yeah i really was not expecting them to use this in the ending like of all the things i really thought he was gonna get lit up by the cops like i thought they were gonna swarm as soon as he shot the boss but i gotta give him credit for doing this because it's just like crazy you know it just comes across as a statement of some kind yeah and i think you're right this is his first on-screen suicide official suicide (laughs) and it's brutal like they show way more than they do and there's just way more violence. And gore in this one in general, but whoa. <laughs> you just kind of get that shot from the back of the car and you see the flash go off and the blood splatter, and yeah it's enough.
1: I really wonder if this was like a truly 100% American movie. I don't think this is how it would have ended. And I don't know, I mean, I think we we know how it ended when it was not American at all, which is the version that you're saying, where it's sort of more implied, kind of reservoir dogsy. I think that because it's this weird blend between East and West, we get an ending that sort of is unusual to both, but also kind of fits both endings.
0: I think you're right. It it services both audiences. You know, if if you're a fan of the original, here's a scene that I never thought would have made the remake. And if you've never seen the original, it's kind of a shocker here at the end. You know, it it is a shocker. Uh, Up until this point, he he seemed like a guy who valued life and valued his own. And it just got to a point where (laughs) the only way to protect people was to take himself out.
1: You almost think that, like, in an American movie, it would have almost been, like, the end of True Romance. And I know that the end of True Romance is not the ending that was originally written, and I know that Clarence was supposed to die, but you almost feel like if it was an American movie, like, studios would have been, like... No, 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 no. He needs to get out of here alive. He needs to get nursed back to health. He's got to end up with rain. They got to go on an island somewhere. But here, just like, no, like, that's not the ending that this guy is deserving of. You know, that's not the ending that it's believable in this movie. Like, we're going to just tell the ending like it's supposed to be.
0: Maybe that accounted for why this film isn't quite liked by many people or critics in general is because of that down note at the end i gotta give the movie credit because it's the ending that the story wanted you know what i'm saying and i picture hollywood executives forcing change upon it just for the sake of commercial marketability or whatever just to get more people to see it i gotta give the pang brothers credit because they stuck to the ending that the story wanted to tell it might have come across a little awkward but it's the story's ending. It's the proper ending.
1: That's about it. That's Bangkok Dangerous. I'm looking right now at the other movies that the Peng brothers directed. They did The Eye, which I've heard of but have not seen. Their first movie was the original Bangkok Dangerous. This remake is about halfway through their their filmography. It's weird to think, like, Asian cinema, like, there's just, like, crazy stuff out there that we just don't know about.
0: Yeah, I was not aware of this movie. Asian action cinema was not on my radar, like, in the year 2002, you know, but I had this friend, Greg, who loved this stuff, and he introduced me to this film, Chan-wook Park, you know, Takashi Miike, Junho Bong, you know, all those guys who are kind of big names now. Like, I have to thank him very much for exposing me to this kind of cinema.
1: It's really like I don't even know. Like it's so overwhelming. Like I don't even know where to begin. But I guess the Peng Brothers is a good place to start. Maybe like this is kind of a cool like revenge assassin hitman talent it like it is kind of story.
0: I like that we have the two versions of it as well. You know, if you want to watch this with the deaf mute hitman, you can watch the original version. I think they they really couldn't have gone with that for Cage as as cool as it would have been to see him play a deaf mute hitman. I don't think it would have had to have been called America Dangerous and uh, Bangkok dangerous, you know. I I think it would have been a little tougher if he was out of the country and handicapped at the same time. Something about the original film with the hitman being a deaf mute gave him a bit of anonymity and he sort of became the least likely suspect, which made him a great person to be a hitman. I don't believe that would have translated as well and possibly would have led to reasons for changing the character and following Joe instead of Kong.
1: But you have to know that Cage probably would have been down to play a deaf mute hitman yeah, <laughs> yeah I you hope can see him like just day. salivating like please guys <laughs> like let me be deaf mute
0: oh i'm sure there were arguments into the <laughs> night you know how can we do this how can we do this you know but i'm do- I-, I am glad that they sort of transferred that to the pharmacist girl you know so it's cool that it's in there in some capacity it's a nice nod and and it still works on the level that this film needs it to work you know it, it works without just being an homage
1: Definitely. Any final thoughts about Bangkok Dangerous? Didn't really win any awards. I think it was nominated for a golden trailer for Best International Trailer or something like that. There's not much trivia about it. I don't really have much to say about it. Anything else in terms of final thoughts that we didn't cover yet? No, I think I got it all in. I would say check it out. I think it's one. It seems like it's the beginning of his straight-to-DVD run, but it's not. Like This was a theatrical release. Didn't do too well in the box office. I would say check it out. I mean don't expect Cage's best movie, but I think in terms of like a cool spin on the hitman genre, I think it, I think you could do a lot worse than this. I think it's a pretty decent movie.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think if you're if you're just tired of sort of seeing, you know, like London or America or Europe, like just like the production value of Bangkok is terrific and it's just a really cool movie to to watch. You know, I just think it, it looks really nice and and all that, so I'd say check it out.
1: So for all things Cage Club, you can go to CageClub.me, you can read our reviews, find past podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All things cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club.